I was always taught never to hate anyone. That you would hate the evil, but never the person, no matter how evil they may be. Because when we hear the word hate, usually we start to think of hate crimes. Maybe you think of the Holocaust or genocide, maybe riots or racism or bullying. We know deep down that hatred is wrong. Hatred is never okay. And yet, we hear Jesus demand that we hate in today's gospel. What is going on here? Jesus says, unless you hate your father and mother, brother and sister, wife and children, you cannot be my disciple. And he says, unless you hate your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Well, it's important for us to understand here that when Jesus uses the word hate, he doesn't mean what we typically think the word hate means in our context. When Jesus uses the word hate, he's using a Jewish idiom that was common back then as a way of expressing a strong preference towards something, towards one thing over another. In other words, Jesus was using hyperbole to exaggerate and emphasize a particular point. And uh, before we go any further, I, I do want to, I hope this is not too much of a tangent, but I do want to provide at least one example where this happens elsewhere in Scripture. Because it is part of the Jewish context and the way in which the Jews would have understood Jesus' words. So in the book of Genesis, chapter 29, we hear the story of Jacob, who is desiring to take Rachel as his wife, but Rachel's dad, Laban, uh, tricks him and gives him Leah, his firstborn, instead of Rachel. It's a very juicy story. If you haven't read this, I invite you to, to go and read this on your own. Genesis chapter 9, it's better than Netflix. But there's this line, Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 29, verse 30, um, where it says that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And then the next verse, 31, it says, since God noticed that Leah was hated, he dot, 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 you know, and the story continues. And as you read this passage into context, there's nothing to suggest in the whole story that Jacob actually hates Leah in the way that we understand hate. Jacob does not disdain. He doesn't have an extreme disgust. He's not seeking to do violence upon Leah. Instead, the verse right before it, it just simply says that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. But the author of the book of Genesis says, and therefore, since God noticed that Leah was hated, in other words, a Jewish idiom saying, since God noticed that Jacob had a stronger preference for Rachel and not for Leah, he acted in such and such. So it's just one example in scripture where uh, it's not uncommon for the Jews, at least in this context, to use that word 
to mean something different than what we understand it to mean today in our context. Jesus is not saying that we need to have an extreme disgust, a desire for violence and destruction for our family. He's not saying that you should totally hate yourself and do violence upon yourself. No. But he is giving us a clear instruction and a strong challenge to desire him, Jesus Christ, above everything else, including family, our own life, and possessions. Unless you hate your father, mother, wife, and children, brother and sister, you cannot be my disciple. Of course, Jesus is honoring the fourth commandment. You shall honor your mother and father. Not to mention that Jesus himself honored, you know, gave that example by honoring his own mother and father. Of course, he's not telling us to hate our own lives in, in the strict sense because he would have known and, and have preached that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And all throughout scripture, we, we celebrate life, which is why we as Christians are pro-life. Of course, Jesus is not saying that possessions are intrinsically evil and that no one should own anything at any time. Because all throughout scripture, starting with Genesis, we hear about stewardship, instructing Adam to till the land. And throughout scripture, we recognize in different areas that everything we have is a gift from God and we should use it all for the service of others and for God's glory. So in the strict sense, God is not saying that we need to hate family, ourselves, and possessions. But what he is saying is that we must love Jesus more than all three. So before I go any further, I just want to reverence the fact that this arguably could be the most difficult teaching of everything that Jesus gives us. It's one of those teachings that we can quickly move on and not think about much, but once we really think about it, once we really consider the ramifications, we're going to recognize that this is probably one of the most difficult things he's ever said. So I want to move forward with reverence, with sensitivity, but, but also with clarity for the rest of this homily. Here's a challenge for all of us preaching to myself as well. Is your love for God stronger, greater than your love for your family? Is your love for God more than your love for yourself? Is your love for God greater than your love for everything that you own. So we'll get a little bit more specific. So again, this will be a few uh, sensitive and challenging topics, but um, I don't bring these things up to shame anybody um, or to embarrass anybody, but, but it's only so that we can take these words seriously because it is in Scripture and we, and we have to proceed with reverence here. The good news if anybody feels uncomfortable, is that next week we get to preach about the prodigal son. It's going to be all about mercy. It's everybody's favorite homily. Invite your friends, people that are far from the church. We're going to preach all about mercy next week, but this week we get to be challenged. Okay, so do you love God more than your family? So 
I get this question in one way or another, or I face this question in one way or another um, throughout my ministry. Uh, sometimes this comes whenever someone is challenged to break their conscience in order or in an effort to maintain family peace, which is a good desire. Sometimes this comes up um, as simply as the case of whether or not we should attend Mass on a weekend. Maybe a certain family member doesn't want to, and so we hold back because we don't want to cause strife. Or maybe our children has a sports game during Mass, and we don't want our children to miss the game, and there's just no other way in which we can make it. Sometimes this comes up with marriage, whether or not we can attend a family member's wedding, especially if it's outside of the church, or maybe our own marriage if it's outside of the church in how we're supposed to proceed forward, whether or not we should start the annulment process, whether or not we should receive communion. Sometimes it it comes up. um, Let's see, what else? Do we love our God more than our family? I have to share a story. There is um, a priest friend of mine that shared a story about this um, couple who I don't know, it's someone within his ministry, but they were, um, they realized they had a, you know, kind of a conversion. They realized that their marriage was, was not, um, was not in the Catholic church. And so they desired to get it right, to take the steps possible. And, um, and it was between their conversion, um, or once their conversion happened, um, they realized it was going to be quite a long process for them. But the wife turned to the husband and said, my love for God is greater than my love for you. And for that reason, I would like to abstain from intimacy until this is all sorted out. That process from start to finish for them was a four-year process. And it was a heroic sacrifice for them to endure. Very difficult, not easy at all. But a decision that boldly proclaimed that they were choosing God before each other. Sometimes our choice between God and family can be difficult. Another example, um, it's been on more than one occasion where I will talk to someone who's discerning priesthood or religious life. And they want to do it but they're afraid of what their parents might think. They're afraid of disappointing their dad. They're afraid because maybe they're supposed to take over the family business. Or they're afraid because they're an only child and they know their parents want grandchildren. Is your love for God greater than your love for family? It's not that Jesus wants you to hate your family, but if we're ever in a situation where we have to make a decision, do you think that you could make the right one? The second option, our second example, is your love for God greater than your love for yourself? It's a hard one. This comes up sometimes in ministry, particularly whenever it's people are wrestling with um, difficult moral situations of whether or not to break their conscience, especially in the workplace. Sometimes it happens uh, for doctors or or people in the medical profession. 
Maybe they're challenged to, uh, to perform a procedure, maybe an abortion or something along those lines that goes against their faith. Or maybe a counselor or a psychologist or someone in, in the mental health profession is challenged to embrace certain philosophies that are against gospel values. Maybe a teacher in the classroom is forced to teach something that they know is not right. And this is difficult. In the workplace, some of these people are ridiculed by their coworkers just for even asking the question in the first place. And so they, their reputation is at risk. Some of them um, even stand up so much that they have to lose their job. A heroic decision to follow your conscience in the name of faith, choosing their God over themselves, their own reputation. I think of uh, the great martyrs throughout the church's history. We have, uh, of course, St. Thomas Aquinas died because he followed his conscience. King Henry um, was not okay with um, St. Thomas's stance on things, and, he, and, and even St. Thomas uh, More's family was trying to convince him to change his mind just so that he could live, and he just couldn't. He chose his God over himself. Think of the other martyrs who... Um, Maybe during the French Revolution, the thousands of martyrs, priests, religious, lay people, families, mothers and fathers and children who were simply asked, renounce your faith and you'll live. Just simply say that you are not Christian, that you don't believe in Jesus. Everything will be all right. And they chose not to. They gave their lives a huge sacrifice in a pivotal moment, but they chose their God over their own life. If you had to make the decision, would you be able to? The third example is possessions. Jesus says, unless you renounce all your possessions, you cannot be my disciple. And so again, we don't have to not own anything, but sometimes this comes up uh, particularly with financial anxiety. Again, this is not to shame anybody, and, and all of us experience this in one degree or another. And it's one thing to have a financial anxiety with a desire to provide the basic needs for your family or for yourself. But sometimes that anxiety is coming less from a place of trying to provide basic needs and more from a place of trying to live an affluent lifestyle, to keep up with the Joneses, to be popular and well-liked, to have comforts and luxuries. And sometimes that is the source of our anxiety because we're choosing our stuff and our wealth over our God. It reminds me of the man who um, you know, was really anxious and, uh, and, and working a really important job, making a lot of money, um, but always on the phone, always working, even whenever he's on vacation, working so hard and convincing himself that he's providing for his family. His kids get to play sports and get to travel. We get to do multiple vacations. We have a camp. We have a boat. We have nice vehicles. Life is good, except that this man is miserable, always on edge, anxious, angry, not present to his kids and not praying at least not intentionally praying. Until this man decided that, you know, life, there's more to life than all this. And he made the heroic decision to look for another job. 
but a type of job that would require a little bit less money. And that would mean that maybe we wouldn't be able to go on as many vacations. We wouldn't be able to own as nice of a vehicle. But you know what? That man is now more present to his family. And he's taking his faith seriously and desiring and making time for prayer. Time that he didn't have in the past. If you have to make the decision between stuff and God, would you be able to make the choice? Jesus challenges us today to choose him very clearly over everything else, even good things like our family and like our own life and like the things that we've received as gifts. I'm spending a lot of time right now at Turlings. It's the beginning of the school year and, um, and I, you know, I myself grew up playing sports, so I love sports, and it's exciting to see all the different sports and to be present to those teams. Um, so it's on my mind lately. And uh, one of the uh, recently, I was in a conversation with a coach, and they were telling me, you know, there's so many reasons why uh, these students choose to play these sports. The reasons vary. Some of them are looking for friends. Others are looking for fun. They like the sport. Why not? Some of them are just trying to stay out of trouble. They know that they'll get caught up in the wrong crowd if they're not committed to this sport. Um, What else? Some of them are uh, chasing a trophy, Um, whatever it may be. But then there is some, very few, but some, the reason they're playing that sport is because they want to play college ball and maybe even professional ball. And for those that are committed enough to strive for that goal, those athletes are different. They are willing to sacrifice. They are willing to renounce anything that might jeopardize their opportunity to make it to the next level. To renounce any distractions. To, to work extra hard. To practice extra times outside of the given amount of practice. They're willing to even suffer physically in order to achieve their goal, their goal because the prize, that desire is so much greater than any other desire that they have. That's the kind of disciples Jesus wants us to be. It's true that religion, Christianity, this church parish, can provide good things like friendships, like honor and respect in society. It might even be fun sometimes. It'll probably keep you out of trouble for the most part. And if that's why you're here, great. It's a good start. But if that's only the reason why you're here, it's easy for you for the rest of your life to live with one foot in and the other foot just comfortably right out. But Jesus, in today's gospel, if we are to take scripture seriously, he challenges us this week. He says, I don't want a halfway disciple unless you very clearly prefer me over everything else. You cannot be my disciple. Jesus wants us to be all in with the same level of commitment that these student athletes put into their sport with the desire for professional ball. 
We are all in disciples. When push comes to shove, we are ready to renounce even good things like family, our own life, and all of our stuff for the sake of the gospel. Our prayer today is that we can face the challenge honestly, that we can respond to it with courage and with humility. We're all weak. We all struggle with different parts of our faith. All of us fall short of being all in from one time or another. But together, with God's grace, we can slowly but surely become those disciples that Jesus wants us to be. All in. 100%. And that's our prayer today. That as we move forward, as we face challenges, that we would be all in Christians. Ready to follow Jesus. Without cost. Amen. Amen. Amen.